But and empathy, I mean, that that's essentially what that like uh, feedback sandwich was trying to do, maybe where it's like good, you know, critical, then good. It's like, well, maybe the good should just be empathy to set the stage and then say, hey, let's talk about this this issue. Is that correct? Yeah. Or is that well, and if off? you can say, you know, if you if the empathy can go so far as to say, you know, I was in that situation too, you know, yeah. I, I I I can connect. I know exactly where you're at, you know, um, and. All of a sudden, a little bit of the defenses go back already. Probably not all the way yet, but yeah. um, getting, getting, uh, creating a dialogue. In fact, that's what that's what that feedback ought to be more of than a, just a one-way, a conversation, or even a I'm going to talk. Okay, I'm going to share what I have to say. You're going to share what you have to say, and they're not really. They're kind of going like this. Um, creating more of a of an interactive dialogue um, is what those is what those feedback sessions ought to look like. Welcome to episode three of Managing the Way, a show that exists to help you, the manager, build a great team. Now today I'm talking with Dr. Brian Colley, who's a professor at Calvin College, and we're talking about what the current studies are telling us about how we get better feedback um, from our team members and how that relates to generational shifts in the workplace um, and how that can lead to um, more engaged teams, more loyal uh, team members. So let's jump right into the interview with Dr. Colley. Well, today on the podcast, we have Dr. Brian Colley from Calvin University. And um, Dr. Colley is a, has a PhD in industrial organizational psychology from the University of Akron. Also, um, co-founder and partner of Talent Asset Advisors. So welcome, Dr. Colley. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. So I, you know, I know that you've done a lot of studying and a lot of work around this notion of employee engagement, which is a very loaded term, a very ambiguous term in a lot of ways um, in how people actually ed, you know, execute it. Um, but one of the things that I know that you have spent a lot of time on specifically has been this notion of like continuous um, performance appraisals or continuous feedback. And one of the questions I had to, I'd wanted to ask you is what has changed in that world in the last, you know, say decade or two decades yeah. even going from more of a maybe annual approach to something more continuous? Sure. Yeah, I, um, part of the problem is um, it hasn't changed for a long time. We, we, you know, the, a lot, and this is really true of a lot of things in management. Um, a lot of what is done today in organizations has been done the same way for 50, 70, even 100 years in some cases. Mm-hmm that we haven't um, updated a lot of what we did. And this notion of this um, annual performance evaluation, performance review is one of those. Um, that we just kind of, it's the way we always do things and of course we need to do it. And so it hasn't changed. It's really only been, um, I, I'd say in the last 20 years, things started to change. One of the things that happened in the late uh, 1990s, um, and it's really where I got interested in the topic of performance feedback, was that we started to see the value of other people, other sources of information about feedback. It's not just the manager, and, and in many ways, the way work has evolved, it's the manager is not the best person to provide feedback on somebody's job because they're often a little bit detached. There's peers mm-hmm. and and customers and and subordinates or others that um, have uh, maybe a more uh, val- valuable and valid perspective on performance. So that that kind of started some things. How do we incorporate other people's
people's ideas. Um, and more recently, um, I guess one of the big changes that's happened in that is decoupling a little bit of the evaluation part, the rating part mm -hmm. of performance, um, and then the feedback part, which is much more intended to be much more developmental and future future looking. Those have always been together, yeah. but in the last couple years, um, they've separated and. One of the challenges is maybe we talk about this if you're interested. But one of the challenges is is that uh, that many organizations are saying that evaluative component is not helpful. It causes more harm than good, mm. and so um, organizations are struggling to figure that out. So you're saying the evaluate evaluative portion where they're not just strictly ranked, you know, from a numerical value, that's problematic? Yeah. Is that what they're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, organizations are finding when I say it, it, it can cause more harm than good. Um, what happens if you try to put that all in a in an annual meeting? You know, this is our sit down. Maybe, yeah, you know, I'd love to think that we spend an hour to talk, but sometimes it, maybe it's a twenty minute conversation where we're yeah. going to summarize this whole year. And you start off by talking about these numerical ratings. Well, what happens to the employee in that situation? Um, our our brain is wired such that uh, we kind of attune to. Oh, I might get some information I don't like on this and immediately start to go to a, a fight, flight, or freeze sort of response. And anything that comes after that is not processed. I mean, there's all kinds of research that look at that, that we're set up with that evaluative information and what people actually remember about the real important stuff about development feedback never gets even mm. understood. So um, that's, that's the gist of it. So trying to say maybe we need to separate those. But in that separation, a lot of organizations have said that evaluative component to have that conversation with the employee doesn't really help anything because mm. it's so confrontational. And what does the employee need? They would say, what does the employee need to know if they're a three on a five point scale or a four on a five point scale? I'm not sure how that might help them. What they need yeah. to do is how to do things better. So See, it's a debate. It's a big debate right now. That's interesting though. So you're saying they're throwing out that whole component mm -hmm. almost saying it's too, but to me, that seems like one of the most valuable aspects of it because I mean, that speaks to some of my limited understanding of that is that the personal component and the, you know, there's, I think there's three things. It's like mastery, you know, relatedness and kind of the um, sense of mission. Mm -hmm. Those things, like two of those three um, are are critical to that 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 feedback yeah. section, right? Yeah. I mean, that yeah, it kind of takes away everything, right? I, I agree. Um, I've had struggles with it, but we'll see. I mean, one of the big studies was reported uh, probably a year and a half ago now in the Harvard Business Review that Deloitte, um, was one of the first large organizations that completely redid their evaluation process to do that. And I, I, I and they don't really tell us how they, because you have to have some way to make decisions about people. Mm -hmm. And it should be based on their performance, right? Uh, how much, what they're going to get paid, who's going to be promoted, who's going to give in training and sorts of things. There's some sort of evaluative component that needs to happen. And um, I'm a pretty big believer about candidness, creating a culture. If you're going to have trust, right, have candid conversations that employ always knows where they stand. Now, does that mean they have to have a number? Does I mean, there's other ways we can think about it, right? Yeah. But that evaluative component, in my mind, is really, really important so that the employee knows where they stand, how they're doing um, you know, in their job, not just. I, I, I Trust, I'm a big believer of the forward-looking feedback as well. I'm thrilled that we're paying more attention to that, but I'm afraid we threw too much out when we got rid of the evaluations. Not every organization, the estimate right now is about 30% of the Fortune 500 have eliminated their rating process. And that's been over about the last five years that that's happened. So it's a pretty big increase, a yeah. pretty big trend. Yeah. Um, so do you see, um, 
what was that driven by? Was it driven by the science? Was it driven by they're just saying, hey, this isn't working at all? Or are they saying just we got to do something? I mean, what what is that driven by, that, that huge shift that's yeah, happening? Great question. Um, a lot of people will point to different things. One, I think that I, I would start with um, saying that it's a process that we just assumed worked and has it's been the way we do things, and so we never thought to change it. Um, but one of the things that happened in the 1980s, 1990s, early 2000s was uh, the impact of one organization in particular, and that's um, General Electric and Jack Welch. And he, uh, G GE had a process uh, for a long time that was very successful for them where their, um, their managers would rank order their employees. Mm. And um, Yeah, I've heard about this. Yeah, think, yeah. It, was, it got called kind of rank and yank was, yeah. was the was the term and um, very transparent. I mean, the idea was this candidness. Let's you should know exactly where you stand, and if you're in the top 20%, GE's going to do everything possible to make your employee experience great, give you the opportunities because we really want to invest in you and we don't want to lose you. Um, the middle 70% um, would be those employees that are doing their job. They're, they're they're contributing. They're doing what we're asking them to do, and they're they're. You know, fine as well. And then that bottom 10% would be employees that are not um, contributing the way they need to the organization. And they'd be given a year notice saying, you got to get out of that bottom 10% or you're not going to be around next year. Again, candid, we know where you stand, those sorts of things. But what happened, it worked for GE for 20 years. Yeah. GE became extremely successful under that. And that was, uh, but what happened is a lot of those managers did great work and they went off. A lot of them became CEOs of other large corporations. And they said, we're going to do things the way we did things back at GE. Yeah. And tried to impose it on their organizations. And one thing we know about management is, um, best practices is kind of a misnomer. There aren't these things that we can really put, take from one organization, put it in another organization and expect it to work because it depends. It depends on the strategy, the culture, the values, all sorts of things. So time and time and time again, this rank and yank system that got implemented at dozens of the largest organizations um, failed failed yeah. miserably. So yeah. I think that that kind of also stirred the pot in terms of people's dissatisfaction with performance evaluation and feedback. So that's an interesting point because one of the things that I feel like you see in the whole world of HR and you, and especially around advice around HR for mid-sized businesses. So we're not talking about the Googles of the world, these, you know, Fortune 5 million, mm -hmm. as I think they've been called, is they copy and they try to emulate the Gs of the world, the Googles, the Facebooks, or whoever has got this hot new trend. And it, you know, it's kind of lost in translation and it's not executed well. But then what are they supposed to do? You know what I mean? It's like if there if there is no, what's the absolute truth, so to speak, of these yeah, things so and how is, do they approach it? Yeah, great question. So this is where this is where business people need to think a little bit more like scientists um, because best practices is great, but it's the start. It's the first step. It's not the last step. Mm -hmm. It's the first step. Find out what other people are doing well and then test it. And then test it in your organization. If you've got a mid-sized organization, take half of the organ. You know, there's, do some really good research design. We'll see what impact it has. What? How's it going to move the needle in the way that we? Is it going to move the needle in the way we want it to move? And how much? And yeah. so, is it worth our effort to try to implement that? It's not going to work. There's there is nothing that is going to work the same way in different organizations. That's just we're we're human, right? And and every organization is different to some extent. So I get a little bit frustrated because business people for a long time have been trained for um, best practices. Yeah. And they train that that's the end. Just find out what other people are doing. We'll do it and we'll, we should expect the same success. Nope, not, not going to happen, right? So, so um, thinking a little bit more um, about 
Uh, what might work for us? What's going to contribute to us achieving our strategy? What's going to lift up our values and not be against our values? Those sorts of questions. You don't know until you test it. Yeah. Right? And that's, that's interesting because um, when I've talked to business owners around basically like the growing pains of an organization, you have to get more process in place. And people process is one aspect of that, but then mm-hmm. kind of operational excellence, if you call it that, mm-hmm. is another. So yeah, one of the things is that when they, when you talk about drafting core values, you're just really observing what's going on in the organization and saying, yes, we're gonna put a stake in the ground. This is what we as a company, you know, you know, stand for. Mm-hmm. In the same way, you're saying that you know, the same practice, there's not an absolute best way to do it in terms of HR. So how do you go about finding out what works beyond just testing? I mean, where do you actually start to say, is it observing what you do or what does it look like? Yeah, awesome. Great question. Um, so a couple things, um, you, you, you know, there's the, the core values question. Um, some organizations have um, developed and grown to have a strong culture. Some have been intentional in identifying and others have not. So if you're an organization that has grown um, and and things are going well in terms of the, you know, you get a good sense of the culture, then go through that process to be intentional so that when you're going to um, think about new things to implement, like continuous feedback or hiring practices or um, the way you pay people, all kinds of things, you can tie them to that, you know, you can be intentional about it, which you should be. Um, other organizations that have not, um, sh- you know, should go through that process. And they may, f- when I've, d- I've done a quite a bit of that work as well, helping um, board of directors and executive teams kind of work through that process. More often than not, there's some tweaking that needs to happen in there. We're, we need to, we ought to codify and, um, you know, and, and really identify what it is that we stand for um, and what we don't stand for. And then that provides some clarity to, to, into these practices. Uh, what the, the disconnect between many HR practices and the strategy and the vision and the values of the company, historically HR has not done a very good job with that. So that's our, that's our challenge as HR, and I love training our um, students to think that way, to think strategically about HR, um, that of course we're going to think everything we do ought to contribute to um, not just our vision and values but our strategy as well. And that strategy is going to change every so often. So we should expect that the, th- the way we do things is going to change. Um, but it is all intentional. Um, can, you know, if, if you did, there's been some studies that have looked at, there are some, some core values that are very common in organizations, integrity, quality, some of those sorts of things. But it doesn't mean that it's exactly the same for every organization, right? So I don't get too, you know, worried about, those are some really good things to have in your organization, but what makes the difference is how they're unique to you. That's where the the compelling and differentiating aspect of an organization can be of what that means, what that looks like, and how it translates into all of what you do, including your people operations. Yeah. No, I think it's interesting. And and when you think about, you're talking about um, getting a process in place, and you're talking about adapting and testing and doing all those sorts of things. So how do, how do organizations that you've worked with, that you've seen or studied, actually done that to train up their, their leaders inside the organization. So as they, as they take that monumental leap from like individual contributor to a manager of people inside an organization, what are the things that they can do to actually help them? You know, what are the barriers, I guess, is, is one thing. Yeah, so um, some good news and bad news on that front. Um, 
I, there's been, we've tried to train, and I'm going to talk specifically about feedback right here. We've tried for a really long time to train managers to be better feedback providers. There's almost no evidence that it works. Wow. <laughs> That's, That's pretty depressing. depressing. <laughs> it's pretty depressing because a lot of money is spent, a lot of time, a lot of effort is spent on, on training, get, sit, put, sitting people down in a classroom and trying to teach them to be better feedback providers. There's some things we know. One of the classics that we've taught people a long time, maybe you've heard of the feedback sandwich. Have you heard mm -hmm, of that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So every time you give feedback, you got to start with positive and then put the, the critical corrective piece in the middle and then end with, that doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. Um, people are waiting. They're kind of waiting. What's that critical middle piece that I'm waiting for? And then, then again, as soon as they kind of hear it, they disconnect. And I don't really remember what was said at the first, and I didn't even hear what was said yeah. at the end. And um, I don't really know how to improve because I'm just upset about what you said about how poorly I'm doing. <laughs> so it doesn't work. Um, so one of the things that I've spent some time on, and, I, and at a most recent conference I was at um, this past spring, I saw a lot of um, activity around it as well. And it's the way to do it is, is creating a feedback culture. And it's creating individual accountability to be better feedback seekers and better feedback receivers. So mm. there's... I don't have a lot of evidence to say that this is going to work, but there's at least a pretty significant idea right now that organizations need to be paying attention to, and that's um, how do we get that individual accountability for people to seek feedback? Because you need it. Back to mm -hmm. kind of motivation and performance, it's critical. So people that to get people to seek it from the right places um, and then to receive it well. And the idea is if we get those two things happening, Giving it becomes easy. Yeah. If we yeah. get if we get people that are really looking in the right places for the right sorts of feedback and they're receiving well, they're listening well. They're you know, um, uh, yeah. There's some basic things with our managers, but we I think there's and 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 I I, I think that there's some um, good theory behind how that might work. Yeah. The question we'll, we have to test it and see how it works. But I'm it was excited to see because I've been thinking that for about a year, and I was excited to see some other people, some large organizations are thinking along those same sorts of lines, including Google. Actually, there was a presentation from Google who's actually moving in that direction a little bit more with their performance feedback. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So how, how do they actually go about doing that? Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, what's the act, what does it actually look like? So it'd be great to tie it to your mission, value, strategy. Yeah. So why is this important for you to do to get people's attention? Um, at Google, so again, it's kind of how you go about doing it. it depends a little bit on the organization. At Google, they're a data-driven organization. So the way that they're going to do it there is, is they're going to do a study and they're mm -hmm. going to show employees and managers that if we do things this way, here's how it's going to move the needle. And it's, at Google, as soon as you show the data and there's results, change happens because they yeah. believe it. They're data driven. Yeah. So not every organization is data driven, right? So you got to figure out what that might look like uh, for the for the culture there. Um, building accountability for it, um, you know, can you, we've tried to build an accountability for managers to be better feedback givers, and again, doesn't hasn't shown that it works that well, but can we build in some accountability for people to be better feedback seekers and better feedback re receivers? So, so that's an expectation for them, right, yeah. to, to perform well in their job, that they're doing those sorts of things. Um, you know, that's more of an extrinsic approach. I I'm, I tend to buy into a bit more of the intrinsic approach if you really want to, you know, a, a try to get to people's sense of purpose, their autonomy. I mean, if they're if we're equipping them to be better feedback seekers and receivers, there's a there's an idea that that they're controlling their their work life a little bit more, which should create higher levels of autonomy as well. 
So yeah. I think those sort those intrinsic approaches to get people to want. And if they if people don't want it, then maybe they're not in the right right job, right organization, right? So yeah. there, there's some culture shifts there that happen that will happen, that will, and that's okay too. Yeah. Right? We're not all meant to be in the same organization forever, um, especially um, when we're clarifying, codifying what what really matters in our organization. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's interesting because I've been hearing about. Um, like when they talk about new managers and be, you know, trying to train new managers or empowering them, that is one of the things I've heard is that you actually try to solicit feedback from your team mm-hmm. as a step one because A, it gets you to try to be a little more self-aware about what maybe your blind spots are, but then it actually um, makes the team feel more comfortable to give feedback and then to receive feedback because you're kind of setting an example. Yep. When instead you're, you're saying, oh, I need to find out how the team's doing. It's like, no, you need to... They ask for some feedback first, and that would kind of warm the waters, so to speak. Absolutely, and that's a great suggestion, um, opening up those lines of communication. It, it fits in. I mean, actually, we're I'm seeing some things now. There's a bit of a movement moving away from this idea of manager. Maybe, ma- maybe most of the people that we call managers really aren't managers. Really what their main role is is to be more of a coach. Instead mm-hmm. of to be a manager, that's a con- when you look at the things that are managed. It's around control. It's around delegation. It's around evaluating and being a judge. When we're saying really what we need them to be is better listeners, understand understand things, and to coach, right? And to coach more. So I, I've even seen that that we're, you know, even changing the language a little bit to move away some of some of the traditional ideas. We still need delegation and we need accountability and some of those things. But a primary thing might be more of a listener and a coach, and some of the uh, emotional intelligence that really what you're talking about there for a new manager um, to be able to understand themselves well. But really, at the end of the day, a lot of that is empathy, right? Kind of um, instead of just giving information, give empathy. Mm. You're, you're much more likely to get people to to change their direction, to be open. Um, if you provide empathy first before you provide information, managers love to provide information. Yeah. But and empathy, I mean that that's essentially what that like uh, feedback sandwich was trying to do, maybe where it's like good, you know, critical, then good. It's like well, maybe the good should just be empathy to set the stage and then say, hey, let's talk about this this issue. Is that correct? Yeah. Or is that well, and if off? you can say, you know, if you if the empathy can go so far as to say, you know, I was in that situation too, you know, yeah. I, I I I can connect. I know exactly where you're at, you know, um, and. All of a sudden, a little bit of the defenses go back already. Probably not all the way yet, but yeah. um, getting, getting, uh, creating a dialogue. In fact, that's what that's what that feedback ought to be more of than a, just a one-way, a conversation, or even a I'm going to talk. Okay, I'm going to share what I have to say. You're going to share what you have to say, and they're not really. They're kind of going like this. Um, creating more of a of an interactive dialogue um, is what those is what those feedback sessions ought to look like. I think it's important to note too um, the uh, feedback, task-based performance feedback. Those things that are going well and those things that are not going well need to happen in real time. Mm. Okay, that's another piece that I think I'm not hearing as much being written about or talked about. That we we can't lose that. We need feedback is valuable when it's fresh, right? Yeah. You don't want the person making the same mistake again. Or if they're doing it well, we want them to do it. More often, or you know, or continue to pay attention to that. So, making sure that task-based performance feedback is being done in real time, and then when we sit down and have a more formal check-in or um, sort of performance meeting, then we we don't need to go back over all of that 
performance feedback that was happening here. Let's talk about how to leverage what's going well and, and then have a more forward-looking conversation. Yeah. So there's that sorts of mechanics, too. We're trying to do all of that in these formal meetings. Some of it can be a little more informal and, and therefore more regular and, um, and less... Um, let, yeah, less contrived, less we need to schedule a meeting. Let's make sure we're doing it in real time really well. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think the barrier is besides just time yeah. and busyness to actually having those regular conversations? So um, I would say, and it, it does, it, you know, I, I, that's some of the pushback around, I think, this, this notion. But I think the, the uh, one way to overcome some of that barrier is right, if you're not comfortable, if you're not familiar, if this is very new to you, um, you haven't developed habits to do that. You're going to need to develop the habits. Um, so um, making it second nature so that part of the way that you manage and the way you coach employees it, it, it is, is that process. And if, you're not, if, you're not, if it's not something you do, you have to be very intentional. It's going to take a lot of cognitive resources to mm -hmm. do that. But over time... Um, it can become much more second nature o over time um, with practice. Uh, you, I mean, one of my old mentors used to say, you, 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 can't, go to heaven, you can't get to heaven without dying. There's going to be some effort yeah. required here. <laughs> There's no magic fixes. But building those habits of thinking about performance feedback that way, it can be second nature so that it doesn't require all this prep. I don't need to sit down for an hour and prepare for my 20-minute meeting. Because of our, it's already kind of, I've got a, it's become a habit for me. I know how to do that. Yeah. To pay attention to what's important, to give the feedback here, you know, in real time that's essential, and talking about, um, you know, future-oriented things in more of a developmental coaching sort of context. Yeah. So, so maybe one of the things I want to talk about, too, is uh, what are the outcomes that, that companies and organizations see after implementing something like more continuous feedback? Because that I know in, in talks that I've heard you ha, uh, hold that that has been a big topic of the ROI of these new systems and how much you're actually wasting because of the disengagement of the employees. Yeah. So I would say the outcomes are going to tie primarily back to, to engagement in some way or another. So this, you know, it's uh, we the feedback processes that we're talking about are facilitating engagement, engagement's going to lead to those outcomes. Feedback is just one component, I think an important one, of engagement. There are other things as well. But what I love about the feedback um, uh, the feedback uh, solution is that it can connect to the things we know that drive engagement most, purpose. You know, this by, by having feedback, you can connect. Managers, coaches should be um, connecting their work to the purpose of the organization. Um, and you have a chance to do that. That's motivating. That's yeah. going to lead to higher yeah. levels of engagement. Um, autonomy, okay? Find out what people do well. Get out of their way, right? Get out of yeah. their way and let them do more of it and let them do well. Um, and then, uh, and then feed mastery is the last component. And obviously, feedback is really important for people. People really motivated by getting better at what they do, and feedback's essential for that. So I think that it's through that engagement. The outcomes that you see can range from all... I mean, productivity gen generally goes up. Job satisfaction, just kind of day-to-day -day job satisfaction across many of the facets of job satisfaction tend to goes up. Organizational commitment goes up, loyalty. Um, absenteeism goes down, turnover goes down, you know, generally positive 
things tend to happen when you can impact. We talk about engagement. I, I, you said it's a squishy and kind of a lot, and I'd agree. We don't have, in fact, we don't have one definition of employee engagement that make, it makes it challenging. I talk more about the employee experience. What you're really trying to do with engagement is create an experience for an employee um, that they can flourish in the workplace, right? And then yeah. we can start to define, it's not going to look, again, it's not going to look the same for every organization, right. but we can define what is that employee experience. And if those employees have customer focus, if they have, uh, you know, that employee experience is critical because one of the things we know is your employees, your customer experience is never going to be higher than your employee experience. So if we're only focusing on this, I tell my marketing folks this all the time, if all we're focusing on is that customer experience in our organization, you know, this is going to be the ceiling over the long term. Maybe there's some short term things we can do, marketing flash things, we can really create a high customer experience, but in the long term, we ought to be focusing on, because that's if we raise that employee experience, it gives us the opportunity in the long term to raise that customer experience. So yeah, yeah, I love that line. <laughs> it's your customer truism. experience yeah. is never going to be higher than your employee experience. experience. Yeah, any organization. I mean, I've we studied in lots of organizations. Real obvious when the employee when the majority of employees have customer facing roles, but even in manufacturing sorts of organizations, that's a truism. Yeah. We'll see that time and time again. It's over the long term. Again, there's some short term things we can do to, you know, and, and we, we business people love these short term results. Yeah, but you got to be in it for the long term and creating that meaningful, powerful employee experience that will serve you well long-term. Yeah, so speaking of short-term and long-term, mm. and looking at organizations and your experience with them, what are some actionable things that someone listening to this or watching this show could actually start to implement? Like, what's a starting point if they are saying, hey, we're facing a lot of turnover, we just feel like our employees are disconnected, um, what are, what's some advice would you say of, okay, here's like a step one, two, three that you can do you know, next week and to get you at least down the path yeah. of higher engagement? Yeah. Well, most organizations think they know if they have an engaged workforce or not. Most organizations think they do have an engaged <laughs> workforce, and most organizations actually don't have an engaged workforce. <laughs> so every organization I've ever worked with has been very surprised when they've actually measured employee engagement. Most organizations don't do that. I think it's increasing. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged to see that more and more organizations are. There's more and more tools available. There's, there's also a lot of not so robust tools, some, some, some um, non-validated tools that are, mm. um, you, you get what you pay for to some extent, so you gotta be a little bit cautious as the marketplace has gotten flooded with lots of things that talk about employee engagement, but measure it. Okay, let's not really get in a fuss over it until we really know what we're talking about. Yeah. We'll get some overall sense of employee engagement, but I promise you'll also see some things within the, the metrics of employee engagement of where the, where the pain is. Um, every organization will have some pain points around what specific aspects of, of engagement need some work. If it's a large decentralized organization, you're going to see different pockets, right? And, and, and was, even in a strong culture, different managers are going to do things differently. And you'll see pockets of, um, of, of things that are going really, really well and some things that aren't. So the, you, you know, bring those people together and figure out how we can do those things that are going well across more parts of our organization. But measure it. Um, a lot of times, what you will find is that uh, you know one, some of the lowest numbers are around uh, are around feedback. Um, I think when Gallup most some they reported some of their and they've got one of the most robust, largest tools available to measure engagement. Um, you know, 20, I think it's twenty six percent of the workforce says that, um, that you know it's only twenty six percent that would strongly agree that they get meaningful feedback on their job regularly. Well, that's a problem. Twenty-six yeah. percent. Yeah. 
um, are saying, I, you know, I get I get something that helps me. So then we got to unpack and figure out why that is, yeah. right? That, um, or if you if maybe in one part of your organization it's seventy percent. Well, what's going on there? What's different? Is it just the nature of the work, or is it the nature of the management? Are they implementing the culture and the values in other ways? What what can we do? Yeah. Um, but measure it. And it's scary. That takes a lot of courage for yeah. leaders of an organization. It takes a lot of... Unfortunately, most leaders wait too long until it's gotten so bad that they don't know what else to do. Yeah. I would encourage you to do it while things are going well, right? Yeah. So that you get in front of it. Um, employee engagement is a leading indicator of a lot of bad things, of a mm. lot of lagging indicators. Things like... Yeah. You know, reduced um, revenue, reduced profitability, higher turnover, all lagging indicators. It's already happened. Employee engagement is one of the best leading indicators for us to get on top of it before those bad things happen. Yeah, so you said um, measure it, and you said there's a lot of uh, myriad of tools. Mm -hmm. So is there a common template of a survey, or where, where do they go to beyond just drafting their own kind of yeah. survey and sending it out? Yeah, so... Um, there are, um, I mean, so Gallup would be, um, I'm, I'm, uh, would be a one to mention um, because they're the most well known, and they've got twelve factors of, um, it's called the Q12. So there's twelve factors, um, and they measure it pretty simply. Um, um, so that's a place to start. There's all kinds of books and tools, and you can get resources to look at that. So that's where I would start. But it, I, it. If you hear me, if you heard me many times here, I'm saying it, it depends. I'm a psychologist, and human behavior, it depends. There, is, there, there aren't simple, simple things. And if you really want to make a difference for your organization, you're going to tie engagement to your intentional employee experience. Yeah. So Gallup's going to give you a rough kind of cut across the top. That can be a helpful place to start. But if I'm working with the organization or if I'm working in an organization, I want a little bit more nuts and bolts of what's really relevant for me. I want to use the language that we use in our organization because it's going to pop out some other things that uh, maybe a, a, a generic tool may not may not have. So, um, you know, there's there's a there's a gamut. There's certainly some themes of things that the Q12. I mean, there, there's 12 real clear. Th do I have the tools and resources to do my job well? Um, am I getting feedback? Do I know uh, what impact my work has? Right, and it's gonna you're gonna see them tie into that purpose and autonomy and uh, mastery a little bit again as well. Yeah, no, that's it, it's all interwoven, is what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interwoven to core values, mm -hmm. to what is your language, to all of that. You know, and trust. Yeah. I, I, there's something another cultural piece that we haven't. I mean, I think there might be a trust and, and psychological safety that is uh, a critical underlying piece that impacts a lot of this. I've seen that in organizations that can't get any of their engagement results to pop up. Oftentimes it's people aren't, there's a lot of mistrust either across different parts of the organization or mistrust with leadership. And that's, that's tough. That's tough for leaders to, to take if they didn't expect that, right? Can they change? Is there hope to change? Sure. I mean, is that built in? Yeah. I mean, because some of those things are, are you know, systemic or whatever, for lack of a better word, you know. One of the, uh, you know, when we look at leadership, we're often surprised to find that one of the, the one of the only um, common factors around effective leadership is humility. And it, it's, you know, it doesn't seem right, but it's so true. It's, mm. it, you know, there's really most, and this goes back to Jim Collins, and it continues to show true. There's really two things around leadership. It's around ambition and drive, kind of 
pushing forward, but at the same time, a great amount of humility. So an opportunity like this is a great opportunity to practice humility and show, and that practicing of humility can, can start to create trust. Um, creating strong psychological safety might take more time because it's going to yeah. not just be one event that's going to create that psychological safety. It's going to be a pattern, right, yeah. of things that happen over time. But, but you know, I think for you to see great increases in the employee experience and employee engagement, there's going to have to be trust and psychological safety that's, you know, becomes more and more part of the culture. Yeah. But that's a, it's a long road. It's a long-term process, but one that really does pay off. Yeah. Well, that's a good point because when, when I asked you about what can someone do now and what can they implement immediately, one of the things you talked about was measuring it. Mm -hmm. But then it sounds like there's this other component of kind of introspection as a, a leader, an individual leader or a leadership team to understand how are we self-aware to the habits that we have, the way that we talk to our team, you know, the trust that we're displaying, the humility. Um, how, you know, that's, that's almost a whole exercise in and of itself that you have to do before you start down the road, right? I mean... And what I have seen is that, that um, it, using a, an employee experience service survey, a, a process to gather that data, can be a great catalyst for those sorts of conversations to happen. Yeah. Um, because more often than not, you're, there's some things that surprise you there. And so that it, you know, instead of being defensive about it, say, this is, this is, this is what we're being told. And, um, let's list, rather than say, well, that's happening because this or this, or I don't get that from my boss or all the things we can come up with excuses. Yeah. Let's own it. Um, and it, provides a little bit of a catalyst to start to do that. I, it is it is one, I, this is a lot of HR initiatives around culture, um, I think work best when it is both grassroots, kind of ground level, and driven from the top. I think it has to be driven from the, it has to be driven and supported and modeled from the top. Yeah. But you can also get little pockets of things that are going really well, that, yeah. um, deeper in the organization. And when you get that, you can get some really nice synergies that can happen. Yeah. But it is, it works best when it's modeled from the top and it's, because we tend to, you know, see how our leaders behave and um, that's going to set the tone. So if it's not if if you're, we're saying one thing and doing something else at the top of the organization, forget it. Yeah, forget not it. it. Forget <laughs> it. Um, so it sounds like to me that oftentimes that would be successful when you have an outside person coming in to facilitate it, because by by human nature we're blind to some of our own you know shortfalls, right? I mean, because yeah. you're facing you're facing the facts in that survey. If yeah. you actually do the survey and it comes back, you're like you can you like you said you can rationalize it, you can deny it all you want. But someone needs to tell you, hey, no, this is actually true, and this, but this is how you change it. Yeah, and that's, that's so true. That's, that's why, even if you're going to develop your own content around employee engagement using somebody else to do that, you want the surveys to go, you want to ensure some confidentiality in the surveys. There's all kinds of reasons to be able to partner with somebody to do that outside. Another important piece with that is if you're going to commit to gathering information um, like employee engagement from a survey, make sure you plan on sharing the results. Commit to that up front because you'll kill your um, data gathering um, if you gather data and don't provide anything back. You're, mm. It'll be a long time before you'll be able to get good data again. Yeah. So be really clear and say regardless of what the results are, we're going to provide results feedback back to the organization that and tell us what they what we heard right and I, I've seen it time and time again when that data comes oh we can't we can't provide this and, but you got to commit to that again yeah. courage humility um, required for leaders um, all easy stuff all right? easy stuff yeah <laughs>
Oh. Was there anything else you wanted to add on that topic? I mean, we kind of talked at length about it, but... I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, Professor Collier, for coming in. I really appreciate it. And uh, My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. It's our goal to help you build an amazing team. So if this episode helped you, then please share it with a friend so it helps us get the word out about the show. Managing the Way is a production of Waypoint, a tool built for you, the manager, to help you foster an amazing team. Check it out at waypointhq.com. And if you have any feedback for the show, we'd love to hear from you. You email us at podcast at waypointhq.com.